Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. Being an upland hunter in the South nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. The relationship between your dog and you as a trainer, that you have to have that relationship where you can't get very far. You won't get very far in the training. And so we choose to do the games we do, going hunting with your dog, uh, going in the field, you know, is your dog going to respond to you uh, when you need it to? And it all starts, like you said, at home. And, and uh, if you can't teach your dog to stay off the table, you're not going to teach below very well. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wooden grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY. This week, we are joined by Perfection Kennels. This is presented by Standing Stone Supply. Uh, John and Jessica Han are the uh, owner and operators of Perfection Kennels. Guys, how you doing today? Oh, we're doing great. Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you guys on. You know, throughout the years, you get you get a couple repeat uh, recommendations or suggestions from listeners, and you guys come up quite a bit. You know, throughout the years, you guys have obviously helped out a lot of people with your DVDs and videos on how to train their dogs. And uh, I'm excited to kind of explore and get to know you guys a little bit better. So why don't you guys guys start off, introduce yourself, where you guys located, and kind of what brought you into the gun dog world? Okay, I'm John Hand. This is Jessica Hand. And um, we live in Gallatin, Missouri. It's uh, northwest Missouri. It's uh, within about an hour where I grew up. And uh, our kennel has been in, in business for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to cut it kind of short, I grew up bird hunting and with dogs and actually probably spent more time with dogs than other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the hunting aspect of it is always, it's the meat and potatoes of what we do. And uh, so we do a lot of other things, but it's, it's hunting dogs, gun dogs, bird dogs is what we do. And that, that's what brought us here. That's why we're here today. And just trying to improve uh, methods throughout the years to help people and the dogs is, is what we're always trying to strive to do. We're always changing methods all the time. And uh, so our process has been long and, and you know, I've, I've trained over 20,000 bird dogs for people. Mm. Uh, 
you know, had my hands on them and touched them. And, and uh, there's a lot of learning to be done. And, and uh, that process was a matter of learning to mess up and fix it. Right. And that's where, that's where our methods come from is because I've made all the mistakes and uh, learned to overcome them. And, and Jessica, you're I'm a transplant. I'm a transplant from New Mexico, and I actually trained reining horses for a living out in New Mexico before I met John. And I had a, a dog that I was training, and I came out and had a private clinic with him, and he offered me a job. So where'd you learn how to train like this? I said, your videos. <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't even hunted. So I didn't have any hunting background. I didn't know how to hunt. I didn't know how to shoot. Um, and he offered me a job, and here we are. Wow. 11, 12 years later. Yeah, so Jessica's basically a, a mm -hmm. trainer at heart mm -hmm. of animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, now she's towing a shotgun shooting stuff all the yeah. time about bird hunting and, and very driven with that, you know. And that's one of the things that, that uh, I find really intriguing is because shoot, she's dragging me out and feel go bird hunting. Oh, we're dogs all day. And she goes, Let's go hunt. And I said, okay. <laughs> she's, <laughs> the, <laughs> she, she's the motivated one. It, it's it, it's interesting. It never it never stops to amaze me at like the crossover between horse trainers and dog trainers. There's so many back and forth. And of course, people that do both that do the trialing and stuff. So I'm assuming that that's kind of where you fell into this being a horse trainer with yes. the crossover with dogs. I'm assuming that there's a, there's a field trial background somewhere hidden in there. Uh, there's really not, but the, the similarities in training, I mean, training is basically about consistency and good timing. And so if you can train a horse, you can train a dog. And it's for us, it was a very, very easy transition mm -hmm. for me to come and work for John. And uh, the, the main difference, obviously, between horses and dogs is one is predator and one is prey. Yeah. And uh, so that changes a little bit in the way that you adapt to them. Um, but again, it's just consistency and timing. And if you're good at that, you can be a great trainer. Yeah, that's a really good point that I don't think that I've really kind of considered it in that light, kind of a predator versus prey mentality. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't have to go too deep into it, but is there like, what are some of the main, uh, I don't know, similarities or differences amongst that, you know, a predator animal versus a prey animal? Well, obviously the biggest thing with the horses is they're going to choose flight every time as an option. And uh, so in order to harness that energy and, and put it the right direction, you have to be able to read them. Um, dogs are going to be just the opposite. They're, they're going to choose fighting. It, not every one of them, but most of them are going to choose to be aggressive or... Um, catch and kill. Yeah, catch and kill instinct. You're dealing with their instincts. And horses' instinct is based on getting away. Dogs' instinct is based on standing your ground. And so um, it's it's really not a difficult transition at all to train between horses and dogs. But um, you do have to understand how to read them and understand why they react the way that they do in order to train around that. Yeah, absolutely. And and John touched on something that mirrors what a lot, a lot of trainers have come on here and said is it's they've learned through the mistakes, the errors, figuring it out as you go along. And so I'm assuming, you know, did that clock start all the way over with you transitioning from horses into dogs, just making those mistakes, some of the same mistakes that you made with horses? I mean, was there a lot of the same actual learning curves amongst both of them? Well, I have to say probably I was I was much more blessed than most people because I had John. And I had the timing good. I have the feel. I have a lot of feel when it comes to animals. And so really, I mean, I went from one to the other without any difficulty. The things that were difficult for me was understanding um, the game. What do the game do? Why do dogs point? Um, and when you start to understand those things, then you know how to train through it. And those are the things that I came 
without knowledge of, uh, but I knew how to train an animal. So I basically followed John's video, had my dog completely trained, but I didn't know why. And mm. so going out and having hunting experience, then it brought everything together for me. Full circle, so. kind of gave you that full picture that you're trying to create. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So John, as you're learning these these lessons, you know, these are these are hard earned lessons. You, it's time in the field, time with dogs, you're learning. It's, I mean, it, you're, it's the school of hard knocks. You know, what motivated you or gave you the idea or even the desire to start creating videos that brought people like Jessica into your life to where, like she said, she's just lucky to have John kind of guide her through the process to where I know everybody else that have spot your videos, they, they kind of mirror the same sentiment. Exactly. Well, um, the reason why I started making videos back when, of course, I'm old, I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost 60. And so there was a company down in Kansas City that was owned by a gentleman named Bob Dressler, and, and he was the gun dog supply at that time. Right. Yep. So he was selling videos and, and I had actually, uh, he had brought me a couple of dogs that other trainers had had that had been washed out, meaning that they were ruined and I fixed them. And then he looked at me and he goes, why don't you make some videos? So why would I make videos? Okay. So, so everybody understands I didn't go to other uh, retriever trainers. I spent time with, but when it comes to bird dogs, I tried one person and it was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so at the time, the person I went to, so I just started transitioning my retriever training over in the bird dog training. And I had never seen all the methods people had made or used. So he started sending me videos. And I'm just going to be honest. I was going, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Because it's so simple. If you present things to dogs in a certain way, it's like teaching a dog, whoa, what does whoa mean? Stop and stand still. Yeah. It's that simple. You don't need all this contraptionism. Two, if that's a word, <laughs> right? I just made it up. <laughs> the mechanical parts of barrels and place boards and all that, it just confuses the dogs. Where we can teach the dog to retriever to sit, means sit, go sit in the duck blind, don't move, sit. We didn't need anything else, right? Yeah. So that's where I started. I started my training. And then when I was fixing these dogs that had already been confused, then I was asked to make some videos. And so I, dove in learned bought some editing equipment bought cameras and started rolling with it and uh didn't realize what i was doing was anything different is what happened and then so that's where our videos are sold so much and a lot of people that are training today are using our methods that were in those videos and it may be just passed down passed down you know i can watch youtube and go yep that's somebody on youtube doing something i did 20 years ago and they're using it now which is fantastic and that was the point was helping dogs learn to do things better through their owners and trainers. And that's, that's how it happened. Yeah. And so, so from there it's, you know, we go into field trials and competitions and that's just because we can, Mm -hmm. we love it, but being able to train us a higher level to compete or whatever it is, um, is what we can do. So that's why we play the game. It's just, it's just advertising. Yeah. I'm saying. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I I call myself a a bird dog nerd to where I nerd out on everybody's training approaches, their thoughts, their theories, the methods. Uh, But, you know, something, the word that 
continuously pops up when somebody's re- referring or referencing your style, your method, your videos is the word that you just used a couple of times is simple. And there is mm-hmm. something to be said for simple expectations create simple results, right? You know, the kiss mentality, keep it simple, stupid. Yes. And right. and I think while there's there's positives, there's pros and cons to every single method out there, and mm-hmm. they're proven in their own different ways. Each method is not created equal in terms of how people receive it or how they understand it. And I think that's what kind of your your guys' kennel and names continuously pops up throughout the years. As you said, it's been decades since you first released these videos. And, you, you know, there's still a demand for it. People are still coming back because it resonates with a certain type of person or even a certain type of dog. And have you noticed over the years that that's really the driving factor that people are coming to you and they're like, thank you. You finally put it into something into words that perhaps didn't make sense to me prior. Yeah, that, and that's we do this every day. We just had a private yesterday, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, one of the things that I was telling these people is, is that you know we're 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 giving you tools. So when somebody buys a video, or if I tell somebody how to do something, and they just follow what we've said, and then the dog just does it, so that everybody understands, we're not making it simpler for, for the owners. We're making it simpler for the dog. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the, the point here is you're presenting things in a way that the dog can learn to understand faster and easier rather than complicating it. And so people are, are like, I can turn them into a puppet and tell them how to do things. And the dog, and they see it happen. The dog goes bingo and they go, wow, that worked. That's what we're trying to, that's what we're doing. <clears throat> so that, that method of, of presenting things to a dog that makes sense to them um, is what has built our name and really it sells the videos is because like Jessica, she had no idea, but she followed it, and the dog, the dog's going, "Hey, I can do this. Yeah, I can do that too, right." Yeah. And that's that's what really drives it. So the thing that's interesting with the training of animals is it requires a lot of feel. So when we have we have dogs on the kill right now, like and I'm just they have been completely destroyed by trainers, and we're we're rebuilding the trust, the training, the drive. The drive. They're afraid. They're afraid of birds. Mm-hmm. They won't even look at a bird, and we're rebuilding all that. It all goes back to that simple thing. And and one of the things that uh, is probably the, the biggest thing that makes a difference for us and the dogs, there's methods out there that leave the interpretation up to the dog of what things mean. Like one of the things that we say, and I told this lady yesterday, we're not trying to train woe while we're on a bird. And when you're trying to teach a dog to woe while they're standing on a bird, <clears throat> Their interpretation is up to them. Is it the bird causing this um, enforcement or the check cord pull? Or is it about whoa? And what we've done is cut it down real simple to the dog is that whoa means whoa, stop, stand still. I don't care if it's a it's an elephant walking through the yard or a cat runs by or a bird flies over. It's not about birds, it's about whoa. And and if we can get people to understand that and they, and they really get that, that's what makes it simple for the dog. Yeah, you know, it's just stop. I think one of the important things to understand about our system is that we we basically have a building block system. So if you if you have at any point you go here and say this this dog doesn't seem to understand what I'm telling teaching it what I'm trying to get across, you back up and go okay I didn't do enough work right here mm-hmm. and now I can add this and add this and it it is so simple it, it's just one one piece develops onto the next piece develops onto the next piece and then at the end your dog is completely broken they understand it and there's there's so little pressure 
Um, and the first dog that we ever broke together was Huck. The first dog we raised together. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. And, and of course, we followed our program from start to finish with him. And I kept asking John, is it this easy? How is this so easy? I don't understand how, because I made a lot of mistakes with my first dogs. Um, but it is that easy. It's just that easy. And, and I kept thinking, this can't be right. This just can't be right. And so we really encourage people out there, if you follow the whole program and see how it builds upon itself, um, it's just nothing to get from start to the end. And the dog understands what you're asking. It's yeah. pretty amazing. And you, I've said it quite a, bit, uh, quite a bit throughout this podcast over the years is if it doesn't make sense to the handler, that handler can't make it make sense to the dog. You're you know, exactly right. Again, yes. again, each one of these methods, trainers, they all have their own merits. But if it doesn't make sense to you, you know, maybe if you've spent the time and energy and effort trying to figure it out and it's just not clicking something there, just mm-hmm. it's not hitting right. Go try something new. Don't be afraid to deviate just because you've heard from everybody else that this method works because I'm sure it does work. It, you know, it wouldn't be here if it didn't work, but that doesn't mean that it works for you or your dog. And Jessica, you you said something really paramount on the sequential, the step-by-step one thing builds off of the next. I've told this story again myself to where I was kind of struggling with the whole concept of dog training. You know, you're drinking from a fire hose. You're you're learning yes. a lot and everybody's telling you to do this and that. It wasn't until I did force fetch with my first dog and I understand that step-by-step process mm-hmm. that they learn everything that they learned before is how we build up to the next one. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate from people, even if they're terrified of it, figuring out how to do force fetch on their own. And it sounds like, I think this is why I'm so interested in talking to you guys now is because y'all take that same approach to where y'all believe everybody else should be training their own dogs themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. And, and, you know, force training is one of them things that we're doing every day. And one of the, <clears throat> I think one of the hardest things that we have to deal with is that when they've been someplace else or the owner has tried it without enough knowledge or information or bad information, and you have all these holes back in the basics. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Every dog that comes in here that's that's either blinking birds or won't retrieve or you know we have dogs that come in here. Somebody has gunshot. yeah gunshot. Mm-hmm. But they let's say force train that somebody has tried to force train it, and you're you're walking and, you, and I just mess with them and I touch their ear and they growl at me. Somebody's done something wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. You know what I'm saying? And so those are holes that people don't understand. They may find out find, and and we find them. And we just go fill them in. And it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be uh, harsh or dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's confusion. Mm-hmm. Dogs get confused by improper timing, improper knowledge that the owners or handlers or trainers are trying to apply to a dog. And I think one of the hardest things that for anybody, and you're probably going to have found this out maybe yourself, is that you can get a dog and you can go through the first training. Well, then you get a new dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we'll train the next one. Right. And that's, that's where the background for us. And what Jessica was referring to when she said she had me is that I've got 20,000 dogs back there. Yes. That I've personalities wise, wise I can refer back and that my, my brain don't have a lot in it, but what it does have is about <laughs> dogs. You know what I'm saying? And so whenever, whenever I see something or read the dog, I, I can kind of refer back to this, that knowledge. And I, I, we just did something yesterday that you've never seen me do before that comes back from my retriever gun with a dog that had been being retriever trained or force trained and the person made a mistake and i just told jessica what to do and it was so simple just like that like that it fixed it yeah yeah and that's and 
so that's where the knowledge of the background comes from and understanding it wasn't, I think one of the hardest things for people with force training is that they think an L has to be force all the time. No. It's not force, it's understanding. If you don't, if you don't, if you're, you're making them do something, but if they don't understand what to do, then that force can be directed to completely the wrong way. They're trying to find outlets or trying to, they'll find different ways to get away with the, the situation to not have to do it. And then people don't know what to do and they throw their hands up. And the dog just learned that, well, I can lay down and don't have to pick it up now. Right. Smile because he's probably going to have I mean, and those are things that people don't understand. That's where the videos um, and the clinics that we do. I mean, when people come to these clinics, and I'd invite you to come to one sometime. Oh, yeah. And just uh, watching all the things that happen. If people think it's magical, and it's not. It's just me referring back or Jessica referring back to our experiences. Mm-hmm. Because we can fix it like that, and that's that's what people come to the clinics for. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, the force training. Force training is a good point because to talk about it because you have to be exact. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Every movement. It, and yeah. and to me, it's a very you know we talk about making it simple for the dogs, making it black and white, removing the gray area. That's what force fetch did to me as a handler, to where it literally put me in the corner to where it's sink or swim. You got to figure this out, and you you just one step at a time. Don't focus on the end result. Don't focus on getting off the table. Just focus on the dog right, right in front of you for the next five to ten that minutes, moment, yes. whatever it mm-hmm. is. Get the exactly. get that first accomplishment and then build off of that. And then I came away, and that's what I tell everybody, the intangibles of force fetch. This isn't a force fetch episode, but the intangibles, like it just, that's what made it click in my head. And it could be something completely different for the next person, but you're exactly right, John, is that's what separates the the quality pro trainers and the amateur trainers is we can sit here and study, we can listen and watch all we want, but unless you actually go put your hands on the dogs, you never create that database. So, you know, I've been mm-hmm. in the classroom for four years with this podcast, talking to people such as yourself and some legends within the dog training industry. And I'm I'm still hesitant to call myself a good trainer or handler because I've only done a few dogs, my, my own personal dogs, right? So there's a degree of separation here. As you're doing these seminars and you're seeing people from all over the country and even world, I saw a video, you had some guys from South Africa come mm-hmm. come your way. Is Is it all kind of the common stuff? People are still messing up or confused on the same things. Is there a common element through all of them, you would say? Well, the com- for me, the common element is people don't really understand dogs in the way that they learn and their associative skills and how deep they go. Um, I'll give you an example of something that we deal with all the time that is complicated for the dog, and, and a lot of trainers are doing this today, um, is they'll take a young dog out there and they believe that they have to build the dog's drive by taking them out on a pin race bird and let them catch it. Mm-hmm. Huge mistake. It, it's devastating. You're teaching a pointing dog to catch birds. That later on you're going to want them to point. Does that make and, sense? And so, looking at it from the dog's perspective, if you and I had a bird dog and we and we were going to work together and we were only going to hunt wild birds, so that's how I grew up hunting wild birds. Um, basically, got them used to the gun and went bird hunting. Taught them a little here, you know, as a kid. As a matter of fact, the first dog I ever owned was a gun shy Brittany that I got free out of the newspaper and I fixed it. I was 14 years old, and all right, so. I did it on wild birds, okay, and ladyfinger firecrackers in my backyard. In the <laughs> you know, I had the cops back in the house because <laughs> But, but from the dogs, this is something that a lot of people don't think about 
And what people do is they, they'll see something on YouTube or on a video and they'll say, oh, we got to get our dog catching birds and get excited. Well, if you've got good breeding, you shouldn't have to do that, right? That's there. The instincts mm -hmm. are there. Um, so when you take a dog out there, and we're going to go take this dog while bird hunting, and we got them used to the gun, and we take them out, and down the road from us, we have a covey of quail. I meet you every day, and we go down that road, and we go down that fence row, and we find that covey of quail. How many days and how many interactions with that covey will it take for that dog to start pointing? Not many. Yeah. Because every time they approach the birds, they fly off. Yep. They smell the birds, they investigate, the birds fly off. We go back again tomorrow, we find them again. After It could take two or three birds, maybe 10 birds, but they're going to start slamming on point because the reason they point is because they can't catch them. Yeah. Right? Now, what's complicated for taking a pin-raised bird and putting a dog on a pin-raised bird to get the drive up and let him catch a bird is this. Is that what, if we take this dog and we've got him used to the gun, and we, this is our fifth day down on that cubby, he's used to the gun, we know he knows the gun, he points a bird, he lets us walk in. The bird flies off and you pull up and you shoot it. That's the first time in his life he'll have a bird in his mouth. What's different about that bird? Uh, it, it required them to go on point. You actually got to shoot, so you're amongst the equation there. You're, you're working as a team. He doesn't get that bird without right. you. Right. So, right. But number two, when the dog approaches the bird to shot, what's he more likely going to do? Oh, he's, he's going to freeze up it. on point. Yeah. Sure. And he's going to point it because everybody's seen before that. That's flown away. That's flown away. And he's just trying, now, he's just trying to stop to keep it from flying away. That's right. Okay. Now we encourage him to go in and investigate. What is different about that bird at that point? It's shot. It smells oh, like blood. Yeah. Mm hmm. And that's the part, and those dogs, their associative learning skills are so deep that when they first smell that blood and get that bird in their mouth, they'll start putting all the pictures in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. And now we have a dog that's going to point birds that aren't shot and try to pick up birds that are shot because he can smell the difference. Mm -hmm. And what complicates it for the dog with people and pin-raised birds, they let him catch pin-raised birds, and now they go back and say, no, you got to point this one. <laughs> yeah. How does the dog know? How does the dog? Because they're a social learning mm -hmm. skill. This is one of the, that's what I'm saying. Most people don't really understand how dogs work instinctively and how their associative skills are so deep. And that that right there is probably one of the hardest things we deal with mm -hmm. all the time is people letting dogs catch and intentionally doing it. I yeah. think one of the things that we like to tell people is when you're talking about wild birds versus pen-raised birds, we always give the example of a fly landing on his arm and I'm going to go to swat that fly. And just like you would in your household, that's a point. Everybody does that before they swap the fly because the fly is going to fly away if you're slow, right? Yeah. So you have to point, wait. Okay. Yeah, that's a point. So that's a point. So we tell people those flies are wild birds. Now, what if you have a ladybug on your arm and you want to get rid of it? Just shoot away. That's right. And that's a pen raised bird. And so when you allow your dog to catch the pen raised birds, this goes away. There, and the style, you lose style, you have dogs that start flagging, and you have a complete lack of understanding about how the, the basic instinct of a dog is based on game getting away. The yeah. point is based on game getting away. If it doesn't get away, then the dog has no need to point anymore. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's just, it, a lot of dogs like that. it's just extending that pause before the pounce. You're taking that back to the predator equation that you're talking right. about earlier. It's that pause be before 
the pounce. And John, did you teach Jessica to point on flies like that? Or did she come? She's got a much stylish, more stylish point than I. I got you. But that's, I I really like that analogy. I mean, I haven't heard that before, but it makes all the sense in the world is pen raised birds or ladybugs. And, and And you can't count on pen raised birds to man yeah, you, you yeah not all of them will fly i mean it's just the quality of flying not even even if you can flush them they won't fly and so a lot of people they'll go right. put them into launchers and everything and you know maybe they haven't done the proper exposure to puppies with launchers and then you're creating a launcher issue then same thing with the gun and then you're just kind of in this whirlwind so yeah. you know let's talk about the foundations what you're just talking about what how do you guys go about properly introducing a bird for the first time to a young dog well, young, young is really about based off age, first of all. It's life experience, right? You, we have people that will bring us two, three, four, five-year-old dogs. Uh, matter of fact, in the first video, there's a uh, setter named Coda that was stuck in a kennel for five years and never been out. And I rehabilitated him and put him on the video. He had never seen a bird, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just as easily could be frightened by the bird as a puppy. Mm-hmm. And so we just present it to him from a distance, let him see it. You know, let it, let him watch it fly off out of our hand. We don't we don't put a bird on the ground and hope they run out and point it because they're not going to. Right? They don't so know what it a, is. Yeah. Right. No, and, mm-hmm. and if it's a wild bird, we could check for them over to it. They smell the bird will fly off, and then they start getting it. But because of the pen race bird, efficiency and training is why we use pen race birds. And so we go out there, we put a put a bird in our hand, let them, we let them smell it. They maybe some dogs want to try to grab it, some some back up, and we just create this space to build the allow the instinct to come out. When, when you give the dog space away from the bird, let them see it, watch it. If they have any if bird drive or prey drive, as a bird is flying off, they're going to start engaging, want to watch it, want to chase it. And and you can take 10 dogs. You can take a whole litter of puppies. And they're all going to re- mm-hmm. react differently. But the, the, the key to it is to go cautiously, carefully, and watch the dog's reaction. Watch the dogs uh, get excited. Watch your ears. Do they, they perk up or their ears flick back or they turn away? All them things are things we're reading all the time. And if the dog's confident, we can you know, throw a few birds out, pigeons, and we use pigeons because the pigeons fly off. They mm-hmm. disappear, right? And this is summer to a wild bird. It's, when a bird, you know, wild, we, we go hunt quail or sharp tail, when those dogs get the birds, they're going to fly away, right? So we use pigeons so the birds fly away so they don't learn to go over to the bird and go to it again. Um, and we just present to them in a way that they can smell it, they can see it, and get attracted to it. If they're confident, we can actually put a bird on the ground. Just check for them into it. We don't even care if they point it. We just want them to smell it. Yeah. We try to make a transfer from seeing the bird, watching the bird, being attracted to the bird, to putting it together with a nose. And that's one of the hardest things, too, is that we have – this is something that happens a lot, too – is that we have folks that will spend three weeks on a wing and a string, flipping mm-hmm. a, a wing around, and then you have dogs are totally visually – Sight pointing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're doing nothing. They're never using their nose. So we have to fix that, you know, get them using their noses. But basically just being careful, let them smell the bird, fly the bird, and getting confidence. We're not worried about a point at this time. Yep. And that space could be 10 feet, 15 feet. Um, if it's a day when the sitting conditions are terrible, we may not do put a bird on the ground. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because we want them getting close to it. Right. And and so if we, you know, that, that those are all, there's a lot of, it's a big can of worms. How do you do it carefully? That's the, that's the <laughs> yeah. answer because mm-hmm. because just the associative skill with a, with a dog, you could have a dog that traveled from Florida that was dropped off yesterday, or when the people come with their dog, we actually go right out there and put them on birds and let them see it happen for themselves. 
So we have a good guideline for them to know. And, 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 and we want the dog to have fun. They just traveled all this distance or dropped off in Missouri with a bunch of rednecks. And now we're going to go out here. <laughs> hey, show, <laughs> we're going to show them some birds. We want them to have a positive association with being there. Right. They just don't stick in the kennel, right? We throw a frozen bird for them. It's dead. It's been shot. It's a different smell. Uh, but we're presenting and trying to get confidence out of the dogs. We're not worried about a point this time. We yeah. want them to be driven for the bird and see if the dog has instincts or if they have fear. One of the things that's interesting with dogs that uh, are put into a new situation, you know, you'll have somebody go to like a NABBA training day. They take their puppy to a NABBA training day. They go out there and the dog's going, what the heck are we doing here? They don't know what's going on. And people will put them on a bird. The bird gets up, takes off, they're going, what? what's that? They're afraid of it. That's our first association. We don't want that. You just have to understand that that first initial contact, we don't want them to catch it. We don't want them to be afraid of it. We want them to be excited about it. That's the most important thing because if confidence comes, the instincts comes up. So we let's say we have a dog that's fearful. The fear is a wall. When dogs are fearful, their instincts won't bubble out. They're in survival mode, right? They're in survival mode because their instincts can't come out because they just want to get away from us. So if we take our time and are careful, we're allowing the instincts to bubble out above that wall of fear. And before you know it, that wall is gone. And it's just, again, careful is the word. And yeah. I think it's really important to also say when those puppies are focused on the bird and we're allowing them to chase them on the checkboard, the one thing we don't do is interrupt that cycle because we're trying to create this um, excitement and, and this uh, love of birds. And we want the dog focused on the bird. So we don't let a puppy go and chase a bird and they go, oh, good puppy, good puppy, good puppy. Because right. then they're going to turn around and come right back to you what and I make do. it about us. Mm -hmm. So we always want to foster that relationship between the dog and the bird. Mm -hmm. It's all about the dog and the bird. And and if done properly, the, the dog, when you take him out in the field, is not going to care about you. It's going to care about the birds. Mm -hmm. And we love that. That's what we want. And we, yeah. we can interject ourselves into the training quite easy as far as here in woe training. But the love of the birds is number one. They have to enjoy their job and love what they're doing. Yeah. I describe it as keeping the relationship between dog and bird as pure as possible, as natural as possible, because as you talked about earlier, the foundations, everything builds off of each other. So the bird exposure, doing it carefully and correctly, then goes into gun exposure and then so on and so forth. And so if you're doing the bird exposure wrong, maybe you do have that wrong time or ill-timed clap right over mm -hmm. the dog and it starts associating you with that, uh, that clap. Well... A gun is a loud clap to that dog. So you go to that next step and you start firing it off. What's that dog going to do? Start looking for you and come running back to you, right? Like those associations matter. So, you know, talk to me about how you go in from bird exposure into gun exposure, because this is really the first time I heard about you guys is your gun shyness fix. That video, you know, it's there's not a lot of resources out there for gun shy dogs, but you're one of them. So kind of talk to me about how we do it correctly so that they don't have to buy your video, which may sound kind of funny on a podcast where we're promoting no, your kennel. <laughs> I can make it real simple. Um, and I can tell you, I made a dog gun shy named Penny, a little pointer about 30 years ago. And uh, I had to refer back to my Brittany, how I fixed her. And basically what I did was, and I didn't know where it came from, but I just thought, well, the dog, basically when dogs become gun sensitive or gun shy, they blame the bird because when does everybody shoot? When the birds are the birds in flight. Yeah. And they're focused on the bird. Whatever they're focused on at that time is what they're going to blame on the shot. They're going to see the bird and go, here comes a shot again. I they don't like want to see the bird no more. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it can have it can happen with one shot. 
So, so what I did was went back and started just teaching dogs to look forward to hearing a gunshot. Meaning that if, if I'm in the house and I clap my hands and the dog comes running and looks around and I throw a hot dog on him every time, <laughs> right? How many claps is it going to take for that dog to look for the hot dog? Right. Right. So usually two. <laughs> yeah, usually two, two, maybe three. Seriously. Yeah. Two or three. So and then gunshot dog that's already gunshot, it fixes within two or three shots, they'll start getting association. But it's I learned later after I started reading more books that it was Pavlov. Yeah. Ever heard of Pavlov? Oh yeah. And that's so that, and that the, the thing that I have to say that is interesting, a lot of people hear or see our stuff on our live shows and uh, they just still don't get it right. And in the actually in the first video, I put both methods in there. And after this perfect start, I had let the bird fly blank. But if you see this, I had a little wire here in that video that when we fired from 100 yards, as she was chasing the pigeon, she turned and stopped and looked back. Like, okay, now if this happens, this is what we're going to do. So since then, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do any chasing and shooting. And. All of our dogs are going through the gun acclimations. It's called the proper gun acclimation. And basically what happens, if you have a dog that either likes to chase pigeons or loves to pick up a frozen bird or a fresh bird that's, you know, that you shot earlier, and you can walk out in the field and you can have your, a friend or, or your wife or child stand out in the field with a blank gun and fire a shot when you signal. When they hear that shot from, say, 150 yards away, the first time they ever hear the shot, if they look that way investigating what it was, and God drops a little bird out in front of him that lands on the ground every time. How many shots does it take, Jessica, for them to look for that bird? Two to three. Two to three. Every time every they time. hear a gunshot, they'll start running to look for a bird, or they'll be going to chase a pigeon. Mm -hmm. So the shot, matter of fact, will come out the new t-shirt, called Shoot First. Yes. <laughs> Just shoot first. Because if you can teach your dog to, and it's, it's conditioned response. Mm -hmm. It's a conditioned response. When they hear gunfire, they get excited. Because something positive from the first shot they ever hear, every time there's some gunshot, they're excited because they're they're conditioned to respond that way. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how it works. And there's no we don't we don't have any problem with any gunshot dogs. We don't make any more. I used to have to go fix them, and that was silly because I was trying the old method that I've been ingrained with, chase and shoot. And then it dawned on me one day, why am I waiting to see if they're worried about it? Let's just fix it from the beginning. And I just take them all through the method that I used to, to, to fix gun-shy dogs. Yeah. That's, that's how I learned to fix gun-shy dogs. I shoot first, build a positive association. It's a conditioned response. They can't help but like it. If, there's the, if the object that they're going to, once the fire gun goes off, they're going to be excited every time. Mm -hmm. And we do, we do gun acclimation in the clinics. We have people that show puppies that have never seen a bird, never heard a gun. We prefer it that way. Mm -hmm. Introduce them to birds, get them fired up, excited, confident, and start the gun acclimation. By the third day, we're killing birds over. Yeah. That fast. Over and over. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting, you know, it's, uh, I've, I recently went through the woe series. We covered a lot of different methods on training woe. And I talked about the, the word woe loses its meaning a lot. The more times you use it and don't back it up, you don't reinforce it. And so how many times you see dog goes on point and they're constantly going, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then by extension to bring it full circle on this conversation is the bird gets up, the dog is chasing. So that dog is excited. It's having the most fun of its life. It's having fun. And you just constantly yell, whoa, whoa, whoa. All you're doing is creating that association between the command and the bird flying. And if you have a dog that's reward is really 
chase, you know, a lot of dogs just love to chase, then you're actually teaching that word woe to mean go chase that bird. And so if you That's do exactly that, right. and yes. so if you do that with gunfire, you know, uh, later on when you're when you're trying to come back full circle and steady that dog up and it's just like, man, the dog keeps breaking on gunfire. It's like, well, all you did was shoot on chase for, you know, two plus years and now you're trying to take it away. And it goes back to your previous points. Just Try and keep it as simple as possible for the dog, understanding what you're trying to communicate to them, because that's how they're going to understand it. Well, and interesting enough that you kind of went full circle for me in that conversation is because interesting enough, if people are really watching their dogs that are act or gun introduced the old fashioned way by letting a bird fly and then blanking while they're chasing it doesn't mean they're not concerned about it. Some dogs have enough drive that you never see the, well, you had, I would probably see it. Jessica would probably mm-hmm. see it. Most people, professional trainers don't even see it. That when the gunfire goes off, there's a reaction of the dog. They're saying they don't like it, but they're driven enough. They keep going after the bird. Mm-hmm. Now they call John or Jessica and say, Hey, I want a dog stay when you shot and fall. I want them to stand through the shot. How many shots they're going to stand for when they can't chase? Yeah. And be with the gun. And that's why we decided to go back and all the training well, years ago, do the gun acclimation properly so that they have a positive, exciting feeling every time they hear gunfire. And understanding that that we call that old method the tolerance, building of tolerance method. You're building up enough tolerance for dogs to uh, accept the gunfire because they're driven enough around the birds. Um, it, and it's just, I mean, it works. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing we're trying to get out there with people because it's sad. Uh, I can't tell you how many calls I get it weekly. With gunshot dogs, a couple days ago. whether it's from professional yeah. or whether it's from uh, bad information, mm-hmm. um, constantly fixing gunshot dogs that were done by somebody else or watching something on a YouTube, YouTube. or internet yeah. or whatever. There's so much bad information out there that about that, that, and it's just because of human nature. It's because I've done it that way, and it worked for me. It's got to work for everybody, right? Yeah. It doesn't work for all the dogs. Yeah. And. I think I think it's important to note that the clinics that we put on we we take ten to twelve dogs per clinic, and in four days we can take a green uh, a puppy that's just been able to be shot over and had some bird shot over it, and we can get them steady to wing shot and fall in four days. Um, green broke. Green broke, and then we that's can. That's not a puppy. proved. That's just an introduction to the behavior. Well, we're giving, your dog, like if you came to a clinic, we go through all the process, then you go home and you know exactly what to do. You keep practicing. You're still going to get enforcements and corrections, but you understand it and your dog understands it. Yeah. Yes. And so so then you can go out and work your dog and the dog's not confused and you're not either. Right. Mm-hmm. And the dogs are staying through the shot or when we're here, but when you go back to your home grounds, they're going to go, ah, we're going to yeah. try it again, but you know what to do. Okay? Yeah. That's that's what we're saying. Green bros. That's yes. what we call green Right. And, and so my point being is that at the clinics, we typically have 30% of the dogs that are gun sensitive or gun shy when we try to start them. 30% that come to our clinics. We have not, in all the 12 years I've been with John, we've had one clinic that did not have a gun shy or gun sensitive dog at. Really? I mean, they come to the clinic, mm-hmm. wanted to be broke, and because they were done with the to- tolerance method, tolerance testing method, Mm-hmm. They weren't prepared. They they didn't they didn't have enough uh, love of the gun to do to it. Go through it, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And they could have come from professional trainers or you know Sam down oh, the road. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't matter because the dogs don't. They can't understand it well enough if they're if they're a little noise sensitive. 
Um, and we face a lot of those gun shy dogs at the clinics and go ahead and get them set up. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, I I, want to come back to this because I want I want to underline y'all's y'all's actual process on this gun introduction again, just because, like you said, you guys are Mm -hmm. really focusing on sharing this. Mm -hmm. But you 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 kind of sparked something in my head here to where sometimes your gun shy dog may not even show that they're gun shy until you get to the studying process. And I, and I'm curious now because I'm thinking back how many people I've spoken to to where they say, you know, oh yeah, you know, we give them a woe, they stop, but they break on the gunshot every time. And then, you know, I'll, I'll hit them with the e-collar. You know, I'll give a correction. Mm-hmm. Dead dog doesn't like the e-collar. So I went away from the e-collar and it's just, it learned it from the e-collar. They're not doing it. And I'm wondering how many of those people didn't have a dog that was averse, aversive to an e-collar, but really aversive to the gunfire. And it's just now showing because you're asking or you're taking the chase away, the actual exactly. reward that the dog yeah. cares you gotta, about. You have to stand there, watch that bird fly off, and listen to that gun go mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that, really interesting. I've never thought of it in that that light, but it's it's just another another example of why context matters, you know, but starting yeah. off from square one the correct way, which let's let's go back. Let's underline, let's idiot proof you, you guys' pr- process on how you introduce the gunfire because it sounded, correct me if I'm wrong, the dog goes on point and then you guys are way back there. Mm-hmm. Nope. No. Okay, see, that's that's why I wanted to circle back. Yep. <laughs> if, I, if I was to take a young dog out and on a checkboard and yep. I knew the dog like dead birds, just frozen birds. It makes frozen words make it simple because you can throw them 10 times or whatever. Um, and I'm walking through the field and I have you standing behind a bush 150 yards away while I'm walking around. We're just going for a walk. And I put my hand in the air and you fire a blank. And the dog goes, what's that? And I toss a bird out in front of it every time. Where it's looking, looking towards the shot. What is that? Three shots, that dog will explode looking for that dead bird every time. There's no point. There's no bird involved. It's just a simple act of a random random shot. shot. There's no setup to it. It's just a random shot. The dog looks in that direction, and a bird falls from heaven every time. I like it. It makes sense because that's where that takes out some of the questions, or if you want to call it a concern that I was going to ask for clarification on is, Doing that with a dog on point, or at least while it's smelling birds, that that could create a bad association. So I wanted to clarify that. And so for those people that have maybe if if they're they're still not picturing it correctly, picture Mm -hmm. an NA test at a NAVDA event, you know, when they just fire off the blanks, you know, picture a bird just dropping right in front of it at that standpoint. So uh, I like that. That's a good tip. Yeah, well, it's and and I can tell you this, if people, you know, we. We, that's our cheapest video. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, if people have a, a, a litter of puppies, we sell them at like 40% off to, to send that video home with the owners. With the puppies, yeah. Because now they have the information. And if pe- I'm telling you that if people follow this method, they won't be but like 1% of gun-sensitive dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, 30 to 40% of them are. And Jessica and I can watch a dog on a bird mm-hmm. without a gunshot. You can put a dog on point and you can flash that bird and we can both tell you if that dog is gun sensitive or not mm-hmm. without firing a shot. Mm-hmm. Just watch the reaction because here's what happens. Dogs that are gun sensitive or gun shy in some form, when that bird flies, what ends up happening is they're, they have PTSD. That's anticipation of the, of the gunshot yeah. based on seeing a bird fly. But as soon as a gunshot goes off, a lot of times that relieves that PTSD, that stress, and then they take off to go try to pick up the bird. 
But at that moment when the bird's flying, and, about, and it's always about 10 foot in the air, 30 yards out when most people shoot, 20 yards out, you'll see the dogs kind of, their, their crayons, their ears will go back and they'll kind of turn down. away from the bird. And then when the shot goes off, they'll turn back to it and go for it. That's a dog that you're not going to be able to get steady without them being, having some problems with the gun. Mm-hmm. And you don't even just see a gunshot. You don't even have to hear it. You just watch the dog on a bird. And that's, we do this so much that we're trained to be able, people will say, I don't know, my dog's doing this. It won't retrieve. You know, he just doesn't seem like he's excited about the birds. His tail's done on point. Send us a video on while well, the dog's on the birds. And 90% of the time, it's going to get me. Yeah. Let, let me ask you just, just as a personal thing, because I personally, to kind of jump ahead with my answer. I don't I don't prefer this term. You have some people that try and, and distinguish the difference between gun sensitive and gun shy. To me, there's there's no difference. The, no. I, I look at it's it that wording. way. Yeah. It, it is. It is wording and sensitive is a precursor to gun shy. Yes. Exactly. And <laughs> that, the scared to death. It, it, it's like it's like somebody, you know, took their dog to the clay's course, you know, like you or banging the pots and pans over them or something like that. Don't do that. Don't (laughs) do that. They did that. And then, you know, they were too proud to say, Oh, my dog's not gun shot. It's just gun sensitive. So we're going to come back to that later. It's just, you know, Mm -hmm. I just want to want to clarify that there's, there's no difference between gun sensitive and gun shyness, at least in my eyes. So you're right. I agree. agree. And so here's the thing that I'll tell you that happens too, is they'll clap on the boards while your dog's eating. So it'd be surprised you to how many dogs that we have come in, in the kennel that down that road of shooting or clapping while the dog's eating, and these dogs don't eat well either. Oh, oh yeah, sure. yeah. You're associating food with Absolutely. what they're afraid of. <laughs> it's like right. they're right. afraid to eat. Yeah, they're anticipating. They're like, it, it, right. So this is a simple thing I'm trying to get people to see. We're trying to see. It's the associative learning skills of the dog that most people don't really understand. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, just because we can, <clears throat> what we try to tell people at clinics is I can explain to you, Hey, uh, we're going to go out in the field and, and there's going to be uh, a birthday cake out there that we all love or right? a, a jar of ice cream or whatever, ice cream cone. And when the, you hear this loud noise, you can run out and eat it. I can explain that to you, but yeah. you can't explain it to the dog. And, right. and that's, that's where we're going to the word of anthropomorphizing. Yeah. Okay, human emotions on the dog, right? And that's what happens a lot in the bird dog world because we think that they should understand it because we're doing it. They don't get it. Yeah. That, that's how I tell people. I was like, we, we can learn by logic and reasoning. They learn by association. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a completely okay. different ball game and, and yes. we, we can kind of turn things around, but you know, back to Pavlov, you know, you referenced them earlier, you know, my dinner bell for my pigeons when I'm flying them out and I want them to come back in. It's a big giant bell that I bought at a garage sale. I call it Pavlov's okay. bell. Uh, right. <laughs> but awesome. uh, <laughs> so, uh, after gun intro, where where do you guys go next? You know, I saw a few different videos. You, you can obviously go into if, if I if I had to guess, you guys start going into heel depending on the dog. Well, actually, it depends on the dog. You said that, mm-hmm. but and for, launchers. we can use launchers. The whole launcher thing started back in the '90s that I created. I actually had a before launchers were made for this. I had a, a launcher for a retriever train by a company named Wagag, and they built a, a launcher that was that it was interesting because the timing was very difficult because it had a rubber band you had to set the lever and you put a bumper or a duck in it and then you stand off and you'd hit this button and it would melt the rubber band 
and then it would trip the lever, it would shoot a blank and throw a bird or a bumper for retrievers. Mm-hmm. So I just got rid of the blank, put birds in it, because I, my experience with the retriever was, you know, retriever training. I went and bought some pin race quail. I was like, these things don't fly. This isn't going to work. Because I had always, I was raised wild bird hunting. Yeah. This is not so I started putting birds in rural releases and I would time it. I'd like hit the button at like 20 yards before they ever got close. <laughs> right. But that, and that, that through the clinics and stuff that I did, that's where like with easy bird through Bob Dresser, that's how that all come about with the bird releases. Wow. So doing this, doing the seminars when I was just a kid and people started grabbing onto it and the company started making them. So the point is bird releases. Now bird releases is another thing because here's the interesting thing that the bad interpretation throughout the bird dog world is it's not a bird releases are to recreate wild bird scenarios. They're not just to hold the bird until your dog points. Exactly. Like that, that's, that's completely going to mess your If that's all you care about, go get a kick cage or something. Well, we, we give those to our competitors. We want to feed and filter. You shouldn't have them. You don't need them. Right. right? Exactly. That's that was my point that I was getting to is just go get a kick trap. If that's what you're really wanting. But right. So one of the things that happens with bird releases that's improperly interpreted by people is they're holding the bird to the dog can point and people, they're emotionally wanting their dog to point when they're training and they want to see their dogs point well. As soon as they think their dog smells that bird at all, pop it. Pop it. Pop it. I don't care if it's 30 yards. And, and you know, we started this down this path when I was doing this bird release work and, and, and actually inventing it and, and uh, experimenting with it. And where you, you know, you can have a dog that you put on bird releases on pigeons and they'll slam on point and you can get them to the point, this associative skills thing, you can get them to the point where they stop on point. And you can walk in front of them and they never move without ever being told, whoa. Now yep. think about how much easier that'll make your dogs to be able to be broke. Exactly. And, and here's from the dog's perspective how it works. Um, your dog smells the bird the first time you pop the bird. You take them to, you just keep putting them on bird releases in cover that's light cover you want to hunt. We don't want to teach our dogs to go out in the middle of a plowed field and find birds, right? right? We want them to go over to the cover. So they learn the association where to look for birds. They smell the bird. The bird flies every time when they her first scent. Before too long, depending on the instincts of the dog, if you have a draw bar, that's going to take more bird releases because they have more prey, drive, and catch. Right. Right? If you have a pointer or a setter, or depending on the line, they're usually going to start pointing faster. Um, but once they start pointing, when they stop and stand, when they hit first scent, you start approaching the bird, and you don't just flush the bird because you're walking in. You watch the dog. As soon as that dog takes the first step, you pop the bird. Mm-hmm. What's the dog learn from that? That they cause the bird to flush. That's exactly right. So you can get these, the most, most all dogs, unless they've been completely, unless they've caught birds. If they've already caught birds, it's going to be more difficult, but you can still get this. It just takes a lot. Um, you can have the dog where you can walk in and flush, kick, 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 and the dog won't move. They've never even been told, whoa, they don't even know what whoa means. It's all instinct. Yeah. That's what we want to get to. Yeah. Okay. And you can do that with bird releases or you can do it with wild birds. Yeah. And it, it, it makes too much sense when you kind of get out of your own head and realize that woe does not mean point. Woe, back to your definition of woe at the start of this, yeah. it means stop. And so I tell everybody, like, it, you see it all the time at training days. You know, you're helping with groups and people. You probably get, you guys see it more than I do on these seminars and stuff. But 
their dog goes on point, what do they do immediately? They say, whoa, whoa. whoa. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you whoa-ing? They're not moving. They're right. like, well, I want them to stay there. Like, they're already staying there. You, you, you say whoa when they move or in this case or in this scenario, the bird means whoa. And then by extension, that dog realizes that every time that that bird gets up, I'm supposed to stay there. And then there's your stop to flush by extension, right? It, it all builds off of each other. And to go even deeper with that, um, one one of the interesting things about our method that most people don't understand is when we woe and don't woe our dogs. And um, it's it's one of the most difficult concepts for people to get when they come to our clinics. Because when you're working with pen-raised birds, you, you made a really good point. You say, well, when the bird's in the air, then they have to stop, right? What if the bird doesn't fly? Yeah. Which happens a lot, right? And pen-raised birds. Yeah. So what we try and tell people is we... Uh, our system actually allows the dog to make the decision to stand the bird, point the bird, stay steady to wing shot and fall without our interference whatsoever. And if done properly, when we get to the end of it, we don't say a word. The dog does everything because they know how to do it themselves. We don't um, <clears throat> we don't force the issue. We teach them. You can't catch birds. If a bird is in the air, you have to stop. If someone's in front of you, you can't move. Yeah. That's what we teach. And so what most people will do is if the dog starts, say, say the dog goes on point and the dog starts to move up creeping, that's such a big subject. Um, people will call it creeping. Well, you've wild bird hunted, I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is the intention of the dog when it's moving up? It's trying to get closer, maybe relocate, depending on if it's a running bird or what have you. Exactly. So you're, What about a pheasant? What about uh, a pheasant? Exactly. Wild pheasant. It, well, and that's just it. Pheasant, rough grouse, gambles, quail, fill in the dots. You have a lot oh, yeah. of running birds. Tennis shoes on those gambles. We don't yeah. bob white quail back in our backyard. <laughs> they do yeah. that, too. They'll run 300 yards, right? Yeah. Well, and that's a very oh. good point that's not talked about enough on this. And, and I, you know, you, you kind of see this. This is one of the few cons that I would say in the hunting testing, or the hunt test field to where so many people are like, up first scent, stick it and don't move. Well, you know, you kind of need a dog. A wild bird dog knows when to relocate. You need to know when to trust your dog. And if you have to woe them into a point, you're kind of dictating and injecting yourself into that pure relationship between the dog and bird that we talked about earlier. Then you get this. Yeah, the wagon, the flagon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's so, so kind of just popped in my head what you just described and that's, Amen to what you just said. That's yes. exactly what we try to teach all the time. But the point with the reason why we play the games that we do is because they can't do that. They have to live beautiful on point. They have mm-hmm. to be able to handle a game. They have to be able to go up into the sand hills at a field trial and handle wild game. Yeah. And do it correctly. And that's why we choose to play the games we do. It's because I don't want dogs to look bad on point. I want them to look good. Yeah, and be able to take anybody's dog that is properly brought along. If you had a dog and you want to go run field trials, we can take the dog you have and help mm-hmm. you go through the process and make you a field champion. Mm-hmm. Not based off breeding, based off proper t- training and interaction with the game. Yeah, and that's why we choose the game we do because it really gets to show what we're able to do. Whether mm-hmm. it's a Beasel or a Weimaraner, you know, a Draw, Griffon, French Britneys, all Everything. these dogs. Um, it's the techniques and the proper understanding of wild game, which is probably uh, one of the biggest issues that we have with all the testing and even the trials 
is that people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't spend enough time putting enough shoe leather on the ground chasing wild birds right. to, to see how the dogs actually, their natural ability. You know, God made dogs and wild birds like this. Yeah, no, at the it same time. Like <laughs> right? They but, work like that. Yeah. And so, and so what we've done is taken those techniques and building the dogs up and their instincts and the pointing with the bird releases around wild birds, getting them stay wing shot and fall. And then we interject the pen race bird. Yeah. Right. The demise of a great bird dog. Right. (laughs) And it's, you know, in all fairness, somebody listening to this and they're hearing like, well, if I don't hunt wild birds, my dog's not a great dog. We're not saying that at all. We're just saying that they're going to learn certain skills on wild Mm -hmm. birds that they that. I mean, you can be as intentional and focused on your setup with pen raised birds as you can. There are still elements that you can't pull out. Human scent foot scent, four-wheeler scent, you know, mm-hmm. it, the the e-collar, so many people in ill-time command so much. John, you've taught, you've trained so many dogs. You can probably speak a heck of a lot better than I can to where if you, if you have a dog that thinks that they figured something out on their own without you injecting it yourself in there to give a woe command or, or kind of control it, so to speak, that lesson is going to weigh so much more on that dog if it's taught by the bird than if we try and teach it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's where the, so we have a development sheet that we, we hand out to everybody that we train for the clinics and stuff. And that development sheet re- requires a lot of uh, wild birds if you can, but if you can't, you can do it on pen race birds, but it has to be done properly. And, and you start, we started on this conversation this time about the timeline of going from a bird introduction, uh, gun acclimation, and now we talked about bird releases. If you don't have any access to wild birds, then you have bird releases so you can teach that concept of the dogs, the interaction with the game and their nose, and understanding that every dog has a, some have good noses, some have bad noses, some days are good scenting, some days are bad scenting, some days shifty winds. There's all that goes into that's a whole can of worms that you can talk about. But the dogs are learning new lessons all the time if people understand how to properly use bird release. Right? Yep. And you can actually train your dog with bird releases, a gun acclimation, and 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 prepare them for tests. And and but the thing you can't train for with bird releases for testing or trialing, if people are doing pin race birds, you can't teach your dogs to not catch and without proper methods. Mm-hmm. And the reason why most people woe their dogs on point, and we see this from pros, we fix dogs from pros all the time, that what they do is the dog goes on point, they go, whoa. Yeah. The dog stands there, the dog can't move up. And so you don't, you're not training a dog to find pen raised birds for us. We're trying to teach people we're training bird dogs. We're not training trial dogs. We're not training uh, hunt test dogs. We're not training NAVDA dogs. We're trying to make bird dogs. And with proper techniques, we can teach these concepts with pin-raised birds once we have tools in place. And those yeah. tools are in place, right? And once those tools are in place, it goes back to that magic word, whoa. Yeah. And applied at the right time with proper techniques. And, um, you know, I don't know how to jump from, from going to uh, we'll just go through the scenario how we, we teach woe properly. I mean, we, we, we just don't uh, go out here and spend 10 minutes working on woe and then go put them on the bird because one of the greatest mistakes that people make as trainers or as, as amateurs, being their own dog's trainers, is what they do is they're actually trying to teach their dogs to woe while they're standing on point. 
that technique is so wrong for the dog, it's unbelievable. If you're shocking your dog when they're standing on point and they don't know what woe means, they're at, you're actually giving them the ability to interpret what that shock is about. Is it because the bird's doing it? Or is it because I moved? Yeah. Or is it because a bird flew? So that's how we can take really soft dogs, really hard, difficult dogs, <laughs> dogs like this. Super soft. And, <laughs> super soft. And, and teach them the understanding, uh, take away the gray area. Yeah. So the techniques that are out there about shocking dogs just moving on birds, we fix that all the time for people because it, it gets complicated for the dog. If you can go back to a dog, and this is how it works in our video that we just put out, teach the dog, whoa, teach it properly, teach it really in depth, really well. They know it with a correction. They know it without a correction. You can enforce it with a collar, proper timing. Um, and then you would go out there, and, and the, the, our whole basic is this. Let's start off. they got to watch the bird fly off. Jessica's going to uh, have a dog, have us walk out in the field, stand there and just say, whoa, by telling a retriever to sit. How do you teach a retriever to be steady? Sit. Sit. Yeah. So right. you, so so we're not doing the sit stay thing, huh? No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. And we're not using a place board. How complicated is that? Yeah. You teach your dog to stand on a board, but they can move on the board. That's terrible. It's so confusing it's for them. Because they're not standing still, they're moving. Yeah. And now we got another step to the training that has a gray area that we have to go back and fix later. Yeah, because if you allow the gray area is this: if you allow your dog to move any steps at all once they're told a woe, what does woe really mean? Yeah, what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. It's so we we just send a dog home that would he'd come and it would just do this the whole time. It would circle around with the birds like that. It drives me nuts. We, can't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. Happy right. feet dancing, right. tap dancing. Right. So so if we just go out in the field, we tell the dog to woe, and it knows woe well. Not we're not training it to woe now. It already knows it. And I walk out in front of Jessica with this dog. She's got a check cord to help. And I stand out there 30 yards and drop a pigeon and fly, to fly it away from the dog. The dog knows, whoa, and it makes a step towards that bird. And Jessica says, whoa, and uses a light stimulation and says, whoa. If they understand that, there's no complication. Yeah. Remember, we're not teaching whoa at this point. They already know it. They already know how to stop when mm -hmm. they feel the stimulation. We're also using uh, continuous stimulation every time. We don't use momentary in any of our training. Yeah. If you the techniques out there that are showing people to tap the button, boy, you'd have to be really good. <laughs> yeah. At the right time, because it's really important for the dog for that stimulation to stop. It's a time when the, the stimulation turns off where they learn. Yeah, it's the pressure off. Every, it's it's the, it, okay. it is negative reinforcement right there on the four quadrants. And that's, you know, for people that say that they don't believe in that, but then they force fetch. It's like, well, what do you think you're doing with force fetch? Sure. I find that a lot of people use terms that they, they try to, to make it into something because it's not, they don't believe, they, they don't understand it. You can't take a dog that has instincts. I'm going to challenge them. The people that say that, let's put you on a horse that doesn't know woe. I'm going to set you on it, put you on the saddle, slap it in the ass and send it down the road. Now you stop. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. You're going to wish it knew woe before yes. you ever got on it. Yeah. And when you try to stop it, is it negative? Who cares? The dog horse has got to stop. Yep. Right? <laughs> so putting the terms on this, this training is when you have dogs with instincts, it's teaching restrictions around birds. Yeah. Whether it's positive or negative or not. You can't bait a dog or click or train a dog into stopping mm -hmm. and chase a bird. Never going to work. People tried it over and over and over because they're trying to make it feel good. 
And and if the dog understands, nothing problem, nothing feels better than that bird. <laughs> nothing feels right, better than right. chasing that bird. That's you're right. you're not yeah. overcoming the 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 excitement of chasing that bird with a hot dog in your pocket. You're just That's not right. doing That's it. Right. You're right. The desire is going to overcome that every time. And it, those are one of the things that kind of gets me up on my soapbox because it's like, <laughs> holy cow, how are you going to teach a dog to stop for killing their cat? Yeah. You're going to throw a treat out there and hope it diverts them? It isn't going to work because you have a dog that has instincts. We're dealing with instincts. This is not this is not obedience ring training. The instincts to, to engage, and because ultimately, what is a dog's desire? It's to find the game, stalk the game, point the game, pounce the game, catch it, eat and it. eat it. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the basis of their instincts. Yeah. You can't change it. And it takes negative or enforcements or restrictions to saddle or harness those instincts so that we can apply them in a way so that you and I and Jessica can go bird hunting next week and our dog goes on point a half mile away and waits and the birds fly off. One flies off. He doesn't stand there because he wants to. He's not waiting for John to come over there. Come on, John, there's still more here. They don't think that way. Yeah. He's standing there because he's been taught he has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's taught, and the, getting rid of the gray area makes it easier for him to understand. Exactly. And right? you, you bring up the cat, you know, I think at the start of this, and then I saw in one of your other videos, you had two German short hairs sitting right next to a black cat, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it, there's not, I know a lot, I mean, I don't even think, well, two of my three would be fine with it, but that third one would, <laughs> would not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say which, the listeners can tell me which one they think that is. Uh, <laughs> But but you're absolutely right. Is it, It's just, again, removing the gray area. You know, you, there's a million different ways of going about this. You know, there's so much similarities of what you're describing based on somebody else that trains a completely different method. And mm-hmm. it, it just comes back down to what makes sense to you and how you're going to make that make sense to the dog to where then it turns into a fairness thing. If you're correcting the dog, have you taught it? Because if you haven't, then it's not fair to correct or even expect or even hope in a lot of ways for that dog to create a certain behavior. You haven't Mm -hmm. taught it. And so it literally comes back to fairness. You can call it positive, negative, whatever. You can do it. Smith method, perfection kennels, Mm -hmm. Wes Gibbons, you can do it, whatever. At the end of the day, it's still learned behavior that you're after and you have to teach it in order for it to become learned. Yeah. And and I'd have to say that probably the biggest thing that I learned with training is that the better that I teach a dog to woe or a retriever to sit, whatever that is, uh, whichever dog it is, the more they have an in-depth understanding of woe with the verbal, with stimulation, that they truly understand how to turn off the stimulation before I ever get to the game, the easier the training goes. Yeah. The, the hardest thing for, I think, most people to understand is that when you have a very sensitive dog, let's say that uh, some of the Griffons we work with or some of the, the Vizlas, mm-hmm. right? Yep. There's some like, Griffons are very sensitive. And you better spend as much time as you can on the restriction training as far as obedience with woe before you ever place them in that area with the bird. Because at, at any point that you feel like or the dog feels like that you're actually – teaching the command while on game they're going to choose to stay away from the game Mm. the bird right so the application of the woe training that we use um is it's really important a matter of fact there i mean we have a young crew that's learning how to do some finishing uh work right now and i was out with them a few days ago and i watched the dog and i said go back and do more woe training Mm -hmm. because 
it's okay, but it's not good enough because this dog is sensitive. When you take a sensitive animal and you put them in a situation and you get their feelings hurt or they, they the negativity that's based directed towards a bird, then you have linking, right? Yeah. And so, so a lot of methods that are out there, if that dog, if those dogs are sensitive, they don't make it through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just based off the method, it's based off the hands that yeah. have a whole dog, right? So we'll go back to the, the statement of saying that Jessica's got a dog, she walks out, she says, Whoa, and I throw a bird. And the bird takes off and the dog takes a step and she says, Whoa. Well, at that point, we're at a level that's quite low. It's the same level we would use walking through the yard or down the driveway. Is it enough to stop him? Probably not, but we have a check cord. We're teaching. We're applying the same woe as we did with the collar with the guidance of the check cord to help them understand. Because there's some dogs that they'll be real sensitive out here in the yard. But as soon as you step in the in a bird flies, those instincts go, ah, and they're so driven that all that sensitivity goes away. And so you got to find the level. You yeah. can't just go out there and the collar up. you right. got to find the level through teaching with the guidance of the check cord. And that's how we progress clear through the training. In the like the perfectly steady video, mm-hmm. all that training is guided with a check cord, finding the proper levels and understanding, so there's no gray area. And that's we're not just going to go out there and turn the collar up. And I think that's one of the things I want to say in this because people watch a live show, they'll see us out there, they'll just go out and turn the collar up. <laughs> well, that yeah. isn't going to work. No. You know, then your trash break. It's a mm-hmm. different thing. That it's not using obedience to control the feet. It's becoming uh, a native association with a bird flying. That's yeah, exactly. And, and with our method, the only time that we use the collar without saying a command um, is if we're trash breaking. If we want them to not look at that thing again, then we're going to use the collar with no word. And that would be basically a rattlesnake, a coyote, a deer. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we don't ever use the collar without a command for teaching because the dog has to understand what you're asking them to do. I think that's one of the most important things. It defines the meaning of the stimulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes all the sense. You know, aversive training is something that you're trying to get that dog to avoid. So if you're using the e-collar, you want that dog to associate whatever you want it to avoid as it being the one causing that stem, right? Right. You know, that's, that's literally breaking trash defined in its most simplest form. I know, you know, you guys like simple, so it it worked in this. (laughs) So so now let's go back. And now what if you, some of the methods out there that people are trying to use and they're actually hitting the stimulation for a dog moving on a bird. Without a word. Without a word. Yep. So what is that? You're, I mean, literally you can make the argument that it, it could be aversive training based on how that dog takes in that that rep right and but you know it goes into because there are methods that that talk about doing that but there's also a lot of foundation work in there and and i think that a lot of people get to that point they think they're at that point but they're not that you know there's still a lot more short grass stuff to do before they get to that point and then you know uh, i think it's my buddy uh mark garon he says one of the most dangerous things that you can say in dog training is let's see what happens <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And, and uh and that's a good example of it mm-hmm. well and what's some of the stuff that we do develop in these methods is that uh it's just real important to keep it simple and the other part that most people don't understand is that relationship between the human and the dog and this gets pretty in depth mm-hmm. is that are you the leader of your pack it doesn't mean you have to be mean 
doesn't mean you have to be harsh. It just means you have to be able to talk dog. You have to be a leader. Exactly. In a dog's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and how do how do you achieve that? And I think that's one of the parts that's harder for most people to achieve is transitioning from human life into the dog's life. Because dogs can't look at you and I and say, Oh, you're human, I'm gonna treat you different. They only treat us like dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's why you'll have people we have owners that come up there and the dogs are jumping on them. And, and I don't mind that. Like you saw our puppy come up here, but disrespectful. It's also submissive. And it doesn't mean submissive is a word that a lot of people in dog training go, oh my gosh, right? Yeah. They have to be because every pack has a leader, right? And the interesting thing with that, if you can't teach your dog to woe or sit or listen to you around your home, you're not going to the field and have a dog that's obedient for you. Yeah. If you can't do it right in front of you, you're not going to do it 100 yards away in the field. Right. And and I, I was recently uh, with Rick Smith uh, a couple weeks or a couple months ago now. And uh, the way he put it is you can treat a dog like a person. That's fine. The dog's going to treat you like a dog. He's exactly right. right. He's exactly right. You know, and so it's up to you on the relationship that you have with your dog. And it starts not even in the short grass like everybody talks about. That's how you teach. That's where you teach and learn the field stuff. But it starts in the house. It starts with Mm -hmm. how the dog behaves around you and your family at the kitchen Mm -hmm. table when you're feeding it, going to the bathroom. And that's what, you know, so many people are like, "Ah, I just want a dog to be a dog inside the house. And it's like, look, this isn't me being a stickler or or overbearing. Mm -hmm. It's establishing boundaries and structure within the dog's life and then being consistent with it 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 what you see in the house what you see on the chain gang or stakeout you're gonna see in that field and so mm-hmm. let's go ahead and nip it in the bud now so that we're not fighting it in the field around birds yeah well and that's that's the part that we deal with a lot is because of the uh, the emotions with owners and <laughs> yeah. training I mean, with emotion really, yeah mm-hmm. it is emotional and them wanting to um, they feel like they're going to hurt their dog's feelings. And yeah, if you treat your dog like a human, you're more likely to hurt their feelings than if you, because their mother taught them these things, these techniques that we use, right? The, the dog always loves his mother. The puppy always goes to his mother. The puppy always goes to, to the leader. And those are things that we struggle with a lot in the clinics is, is a Jessica guy can step into the dog and that dog is, I mean, it's, it's doing whatever we want. And it actually looks, it seeks us. The dog will seek us because they're, they need leadership that's what thrives in a pack. Yeah. That's who they go to. That's who they look to. And there's a lot of information out there that is so wrong and trying to anthropomorphize the dog and making the dog want by baiting and, and, you know, the, just, just all these things that we do with human nature wise, wanting the dog to like you. And they don't realize that if you, if you treat them like a dog, they actually love you more. Yeah. It's quite interesting. We do it all the time and it's, it just blows people's minds. You know, some little techniques we use. You don't have to strike them or hit them or kick them or nothing. You don't have to do that. And there's little techniques you can use. And those are things that we teach our clinics too. And that that helps your training more than anything. So when you speak and you're around your dog, they respond to you. Yeah. Jessica does that with horses. It blows my mind. Mm-hmm. She'll take a thousand, eleven hundred pound horse and go in a round pen and work it and have that dog, that horse submitting to her like I will a dog instantly and never, never touch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the, the associative or, or things that we're trying to teach people or help them understand. Not everybody can do this. I can barely do the horse. I'm trying to learn how to do it, <laughs> right? That's her world. Mm-hmm. But those things are so interesting is that the relationship between your dog and you as a trainer that you have to have that relationship or you can't get very far. 
you won't get very far in the training. Um, you know, and that's the one. And, and so we choose to do the games we do, going hunting with your dog, uh, going in the field. You know, is your dog going to respond to you uh, when you need it to? And it all starts, like you said, at home. And, and uh, if you can't teach your dog to stay off the table, you're not going to teach them to well very well. Yeah. So it's simple. Um, but the whole techniques that we use and stuff, I think we try to challenge people to come to the clinics and do the auditing. Mm-hmm. Because you get to see these things uh, firsthand. That's why we do live show. Yeah. That's why we do live shows. We do live shows on Facebook because most people won't. Yeah. Because you're getting that, right? 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 Because first of all, we love dogs. Absolutely love dogs. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here now. There's like eight short hairs in our home. Right? <laughs> um, Busy. And, and, and we like to, the people to see what we're like and what we do with the dogs. And it's not... It's it's not even like set up. We literally will be getting ready to do a live show, and it'll be 15 minutes before. And just go, what are we going to do today? And I'll say, I don't know. Let's pull out so and so and do that. Yeah, because it's stuff we do all the time, right? Mm-hmm. We just do it all the time, and we want people to the the, the the doing a YouTube. We we haven't done YouTube because it's too edited. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah, and coming to the clinics, you can come watch us and see what we do. And I, you know, I want to invite you to come to the clinic and just watch. Um, we have some interesting things that happen a lot, and 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 people they call it like a bird dog revival. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to threaten me with a good time. I mean, anybody that's been listening to this for again, I'm a bird dog nerd. If the invitation's mm-hmm. there, I'm I'm there. I will I will make it there, and I can't wait. But you know it. That. I, I feel like, you know, you, you guys are the type that I could probably talk for five hours uh, yes. with, with this stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we barely touched, we kind of got into woe, but we didn't even really talk about how you train it. And of course, you know, with how you guys do, we need to talk about heel, but that might have to be another podcast. Maybe when I come mm-hmm. up to the seminar or something. Well, well, I can touch on it real quick. So if you want to, I can do that. I have so, it. Roll with it. All right. So the, the woe training it's, you have to think about it real simple from the dog's perspective. All we're trying to do is teach the dog to stop on the woe command, eventually with the stimulation of the collar, that they learn that they can turn it off by stopping and having all four feet stand still, flat-footed every time. And it's about, and it really comes down to the trainer. And we try, I say this quite a bit, it's about making it more difficult for the trainer sometimes than it is the dog, because all we, all we have to do is watch our timing on low levels and let go of the stimulation when they stop every time. And sometimes we use heel, but sometimes we don't use heel. And the times we don't use heel is if, um, you know, Sally down the road had a, a dog that she taught to heel and sit. So every time the dog's at heel position, it's going to associate the sit. Well, rather than complicating that more, sometimes we'll just have him on a, on a, on a loose leash away from us on the opposite side of the heel side and start teaching him to roll with his leash and stimulation. And it, and it sounds pretty simple, and it really is. But yeah. It's all about your timing. Um, and the hardest, I think, the hardest things that we deal with people with a woe is, I would say, people that they they they're intimidated by the collar. Mm-hmm. First of all, yeah. right? Uh, they don't understand it. We have people that come to clinics, and I'll say, "Well, put the collar on." Oh no, I don't want to do that. You know, and we, we'll make them do it. I will say, <laughs> "Here, put it on." Do this. And you you put the collar on a, a really low level, and you, I can't even feel it. 
Some people can feel it. And so people, that's the first key is people understand that the collar is not a harmful thing. It's just a, it's just a sensation. I, I swear some of these collars now, if you're on a one low on say a Garmin or like my DT, yeah. uh, yeah. DD 700 that I use, I swear the dogs can hear the, the vibration or, or the stem in mm-hmm. the collar before they feel it. It's just, it's that mm-hmm. subtle. Mm-hmm. It is. And, mm-hmm. and that's important to have that. You have to have that subtle little light stimulation. Um, and you're basically just, the basis of it is you're teaching the dog through guidance to check for release that when they stop, the stimulation stops. It's that simple. And, that, and we just make it real simple. And, um, and and what it does is it puts the responsibility for training 100% on the handler because the dog has the power to turn off the stimulation if your timing is good. So if you have great timing and you take your finger off the button every time the feet quit moving, the dog understands that the stimulation is going to go away when their feet quit moving. So as a trainer, 100% of the responsibility goes on your shoulders. And and that's where we like to put it. It's our job to teach our dogs. It shouldn't, uh, our collar should never be used for punishment. Um, and that's what momentary does. If you use momentary, it's a punishment to a dog. Because again, if you're talking about teaching woe or teaching here, where when they give the proper response, the stimulation goes away. But if people use momentary, the dog doesn't have the power to turn the collar off. It's just a hit. It's like me hitting John upside the shoulder and saying, hey, and he's going, what? What do I do? As opposed to using continuous where I push on him and he just moves away. And he has the power now by giving the right response to turn off the stimulation. And that's all that woe training is. The dog stops. And as soon as the feet are all four on the ground and not moving, the stimulation goes away. And, And it's just so simple. Yeah, and I, we, you know, one of the things that I try to tell people with the collar and proper timing, you can take a dog with a very low stimulation and teach them to put their foot on a wall and hold it there. Not and and they're not worried; they just realize, right? This is what they're that, asking me to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That when they feel the stimulation, they'll put their foot up and hold it there. Yeah. It's that simple. And if you can apply your techniques correctly with proper timing, and that's what our technique does is it puts a responsibility of the timing on the handler. And that's why I was saying that that all the other methods that I've seen, there's probably some I haven't seen, that the more mechanical things that you bring into the picture, the more gray area you have for the dog mm-hmm. because they associate it with this and they associate it with that. Mm-hmm. And we literally just walk down the driveway just like you would teach a dog to sit. Yeah. Same way. It may be a hill, maybe not. We like to use hill um, if we can, because what that does is get the dog directed mentally on us. As you speed up, they speed up. As you slow down, they slow down. If you stop, they stop. That's the basis of the beginning of the world training, right? Yeah. But you don't have to use that if you've already taught your dog to sit. You can act, they're smart enough to, this is the part that from the dog's mind, you can actually move them to the other side where they haven't had to sit and they won't sit as readily. Um, and that, that's the basis of all our training. And you're just constantly watching your timing throughout the training to the point where every time you say, well, hit the button, they stop. Yeah. If you let go of the button and their feet stop. The complication is the emotional part for people is let's say that when they hit the button and the dog sits down. They go, <gasps> they let go of the button. You just taught it to sit. Yeah. That's right. Exactly right. So you have <laughs> to right. mentally get prepared for this as a trainer. That no matter what happens on this light stimulation, you're not going to let go until all four feet are set. Yeah. It really happens fast. And, it, and it, for if you're not used to that, you mentally have to remind yourself. It's like, okay, I'm about, I'm about to use the collar. 
I am mm-hmm. not letting off of this until we win this battle because some dogs, you know, not in this scenario, but there are other levels of training to where, like you said, people just prematurely let off the pressure because mm-hmm. they, they just want everything to stop. And right. th- that, right. that makes sense to us, but you're, you're reinforcing, you're solidifying that behavior in that dog. And so I tell everybody, you know, that I help or advise and stuff like this is if you're going to do it, you have to do it to completion. You know, you have, you have to be mentally focused in on the task. Don't be worried about that. Don't be worried about that. You know, focus in on what you're asking this one dog to do, because when done right, it it does go that fast. It can go that fast. These dogs are capable, Mm -hmm. but any ambiguity, any gray area, that's a fault Mm -hmm. on us as handlers and trainers. That's right. And that's really where we see the meltdowns occur in dogs. Um, uh, you know, we, we work with so many different breeds and so many different, um, variances of drive within those breeds. And it is so important to have good timing because when you don't have good timing, when you make, we always like to use this at the clinic, we ask people, what is two plus two equal? Five. (laughs) Everybody says four until we keep telling them, no, that's not the right answer. And about the third or fourth person, we get to them and they're like, I don't know what it is. They're confused. And and that's what you do when you have bad timing. Or as you said, you don't follow through and finish something. They have to understand what the answer is. And if you're, if you're giving a different response or, or letting go of the button at a different time, each time the dog doesn't understand the answer. And so then two plus two becomes five, six, seven, eight, or two or four. And they don't understand that. And that's when we really see dogs completely unravel. And so, the, so anytime we have that happen, we'll, we'll have it happen at clinics quite often. And John and I will just step right in and it literally will take us less than 60 seconds to just fix it up because it's confusion. And when you have confusion, the learning stops. And we tell people all the time at the clinics where frustration begins, learning ends. And so you have to just be methodical. You have to well, follow methodical. the system, low levels and wait for the right response. And, and, and doing that, you're going to go leagues above the other people because the dog the dog will progress so quickly if you have good timing and they understand it yeah well real quick as as we start wrapping this up uh if you had to pick one timing or consistency would you say is more important when you're training a dog and you can't cop out and say both really matters (laughs) (laughs) well how about if i say timing consistently (laughs) (laughs) because it goes hand in hand because it does it does. It goes hand in hand, that consistency thing. And I think that Jessica, real quick, without trying to teach this to people with a collar, mm-hmm. is that she came up with the technique because she's got what's your degree in? She knows how to teach people better than I do. Sociology yeah. and adult learning. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's come up with some techniques to help people to practice this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she's told them is like, if you watch the videos that we put out, the perfectly steady, actually get your transmitter and try to watch the dog and keep the timing that we do. And so one of the things I'll tell you that in the videos we do, I show every mistake I make mm-hmm. because I make it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that helps people to understand that I'm not, I'm not perfect either. Nobody try, is. Right. Mm-hmm. So trying to be consistent with this is the key. And so Jessica's technique with that, watch the videos. Mm-hmm. The other one is watching people. It's yes. really interesting. Go ahead yeah. and tell This will help people a lot. But holding the button when people are walking. Oh, absolutely. We, we tell people just to, you don't even have to have a transmitter in your hand, but you can pretend like you do just like this. Yeah. And uh, when people are, you go to lunch in a restaurant or something, watch someone walking and hold the button, hold the button, hold the button, stop. 
when they stop. Like, and oh. it's muscle memory. It I teaches like your brain to focus on the feet. And one of the things that I tell people is I've been with John 12 years now, and it, it just frustrates me that I'm not as good as him with my timing still after 12 years. And I'm pretty good. And I'm still not as good as him. And I'm, oh, I just, and so I practice. I want to be that good. And I practice every day because we have 30 dogs in the kennel. Mm-hmm. And so I'm out there working. I'm teaching our own puppies right now. How to we just started them yesterday. Um, and so I want to be good for them. I want to be really good with my timing. And I think it's so important to take that responsibility and practice because if you don't practice every day, it's like learning to play the guitar. If you don't practice every day, you don't get better. Yeah. And so people will go and work their dog and then go out three weeks later and then it all goes to hell in a handbasket and they don't understand why. And it's just a matter of you have to stay in tune. You have to practice. And, and we tell people all the time before you fall asleep at night, when you're laying in bed, go through the scenarios in your head where your dog moves and you hold your finger on the butt until the feet quit moving. And because once you interject birds into this whole situation of woe training, things get going hot really fast. Yeah, you're throwing <laughs> gasoline on a fire there. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have it really good before you get to the birds, then then that's where the wheels will fall off. Yeah, and so I, I really perfect. like that drill. I mean, for especially you know we're talking to a lot of hunters because we're you know hopefully hunters because we're training hunting dogs and bird dogs. So, uh, yeah. You know, people will talk about the importance of practicing your gun mount or or shouldering yeah, yeah. your shotgun inside. Yeah. This gives mm-hmm. you a drill to work on on your dog training skills, your timing skills right. with your collar, right? It's uh, right. I, I love little little tidbits like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm I'm glad that we finally got to do it. I know we've been going back and forth for a few weeks mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to do it. I, I look forward to when when I'm able to uh, fit one of your seminars into to a trip or something like that. Why don't you, as we, as we kind of close this out, tell everybody where they can find you guys at the resources. You mentioned Facebook. You mentioned your videos. Tell everybody where they can find the Perfection Kennel uh, full video library, I guess you could call it. You can find it on our website. It's uh, www.perfectionkennel.com. And uh, actually, Gun Dog, Gun Dog Supply is yes. most of them. Mm-hmm. They're also available on our website through Vimeo, where you can uh, uh, pay to watch them streaming. Uh, which is what a lot of people really like now because uh, DVDs and thumb drives aren't the thing no more. Yeah, right? I don't even have a DVD player anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, right, right. And, but a lot of people do interesting. So um, that and then we're on, of course, uh, Facebook at perfectionkennel.com or Perfection Kennel on there. Kennel, yeah. And then TikTok and um, Instagram. And uh, we're on YouTube. And we're going to start adding some more stuff on YouTube. It's just been something that... Uh, and we're probably going to be doing more lives on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've been doing a live show. We started in COVID, uh, during COVID, when everybody was home, we started doing live shows six days a week. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we did that. And so now we've been doing it for two days a week. And now we're stopped doing that. We're just going to start doing pop ons because it, uh, Jessica and I are trying to slow down a little bit and find more time to go bird hunting. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love the bird hunt. I mean, on our we train dogs all the time, and our recreation is bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we do. So, um, so we're trying to find time. So we're going to be doing some some uh, pop on live stuff. We're not going to schedule anything for a while. We're just going to do live on, on Instagram mm-hmm. and YouTube. So you know, we're just trying to find more interesting things because I think that um, with our stuff on our website and Facebook, it's more about making it simple. And you said that, and we saw the same simple stuff over and over because that's what we do is keeping it simple. And if you, if you go to our, our videos and stuff, it goes clear through all the stuff we do. We have the perfect retrieve. We have the uh, gun acclimation, the gun shy fix. We have a lot of people 
to fix their own gun-shy dogs using our videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the perfect wool, perfectly steady, um, the perfect hair, which is real important because, you know, with retrieve, if you're, you can force train your dog all you want, but if they won't recall to you, you don't have a retrieve. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. amazing how many people I get to talk to to where they think that they have a retrieving issue with their dog and they'll send a video or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't have a retrieving issue with a dog. You have a recall issue recall. with that dog. Right? <laughs> you did great on force fetch. You yep. did horrible on recall. <laughs> well, Welcome to our world. Yeah, that's exactly right. we, you know, matter of fact, we take a dog that's eating birds on the perfect cure video and fix it in about 10 minutes for using perfect man. Yeah. Right. So yeah. things are right. Yeah. All right. So the, all those videos are out there. And and one of the things that our videos are known for is that you need a cup of coffee mm-hmm. or a pot. Yeah. A law. Okay. We try to everything we can. Yeah. Um, I think they're perfectly steady seven and a half hours long. Oof. So it's going, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're using six dogs of different personalities. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's where you can find our mm-hmm. stuff. It's so, uh, all on there. And if you have any questions, if you have problem dogs, the one of the things we do too is a lot of people don't know if you have a dog and a problem, uh, we get these calls all the time. I can't get help, I, or somebody's tried it. Send us a video. We fix a lot of dogs all over the country by watching videos and talking people through it. Oh yeah, and showing them what they can do to help them. And you know, we don't charge for that. We're just trying to help people yeah. out. Yeah, uh, and that's the ultimate thing. Is that uh, it's about these guys, you know. Because uh, a lot of bad training ruins a lot of good dogs. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of dogs don't even get a fair shake some of the time just because exactly. of la- right. lack of information or resources, fill in the blank, whatever you want to call it. Real quick, before before I turn it off, you piqued my interest. Where are you guys headed this fall? What what big bird hunting trips do you guys have planned? Well, we have two. We, we have two. We're going to the Sand Hills in the, uh, towards the end of September. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we've got one scheduled in New Mexico. We'll okay. Be there. Days. Yeah, we love gambles. Yeah, we're getting old, but we still put those tennis shoes on. Chase those little tricks. Man, I, t- I tell you what, those people talk about gambles having having tennis shoes on. I don't think they wear tennis shoes. I think they just ride bikes. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because like this guy right here, this is Huck. He's, he's pretty fierce. famous in short hair world, and he's um, uh, he's fierce down there. Yeah, he I mean, I mean he, he'll get him pinned and pointed, and we, we've mm-hmm. shot a lot of cubbies, and it's just. Having dogs that are good at it, right? So we love that. We also are getting ready for summer camp. Summer camp is two months in North Dakota, all wild birds. We don't even take a pin raised birds with us. Uh, we have two stents. We have 30 dogs in the middle of July till August 15th, and then another group from August 15th to September 15th. All we're doing, we have about 100,000 acres that we lease, and we run dogs on wild birds for two months. It's like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's our favorite. Disneyland of dog birds. It is. It is fun. <laughs> lots, awesome. lots of dogs. Yeah. 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 That sounds like a blast. That sounds like anybody would love their uh, love to become a dog trainer in that scenario. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Oh yeah. Fun. A lot of miles. Except the four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad that we finally made this happen, and I look forward to linking up again. And I, I know, again, like I said, don't thread me with a good time. I will make it to one of the seminars. And, yeah. and, uh, We'd love to have you. Yeah. And yeah. also, we wanted to offer to send you the videos on Vimeo so you can watch and see what we're talking about, especially the gun-shy one, because you showed some interest. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, no yeah, I'd we'll love send to. You the link. Yeah, and you can watch that. And, and I got to plug Huck real quick, because he's the only dog in the history of the NGSPA to have won the chicken championship as a dual champion. It's a wild bird trial. It's all in wild birds. He won it at the Sandhills. And he also came back and won the Invitational. And he's the only dual champion in the history of the be breed to win the Invitational. And so that's so, a really big deal. So he is, he is well decorated then. 
He is. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that's another that's a discussion or conversation deserving of its own slot is the yes, you know, wild birds with trial dogs with with hunt tests because it you can't have all of the above. It's not one or the other, it's just how you right. approach it. And I think so many people are so so quick to say like, Oh, a testing or trialing dog can't be a good wild bird dog and vice versa. And it's just it's just not true. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, staring at one right now. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but hey, we really appreciate you inviting us yeah. to do this too. Yeah. It's an honor. Yes. And, thank uh, you. We, we appreciate what you're doing. Yes, yes. sir. There's uh, one of the things that we always tell people, the reason why we've done our business the way we are, because there's nobody that's going to be a bigger advocate for your dog than yourself. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Right. As a as an owner, handler, trainer, mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to help people do because you're going to do what's best for your dog most of the time. Yep. And that's why we do what we do to help people do it themselves so that their dogs are home with them and getting trained and be able to take them the dreams they have with their bird dog. They get this little puppy, be able to go out into the field when the dog's a year old and the dog's pointing birds and you're able to shoot birds and watch this progression happen with you and your dog. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to promote. So. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the mission of this podcast, as you alluded to, and, and we're going to keep doing it and you keep doing it on your end and listeners hold on for the outro and uh, guys, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you again. Take care. Well, there you have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode with John and Jessica from Perfection Kennels. This was brought to you by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Perfection Kennels, you know, this is uh, this is a guest, as, as I kind of alluded to at the start of the episode, to where it's They've been requested a number of times. They do have a, uh, a following within the space for uh, correct reasons, I would say. You know, their reputation precedes them and the fact of they're just down-to-earth, normal folks that really just enjoys dog training for what dog training truly is. And, and I really respect and kind of admire their approach to it and how they just like to keep things as simple as possible. And you know, before coming on and, and talking to them and getting to know them slightly, uh, that that's what I primarily heard from other people that have attended their seminars or maybe linked up with them in Missouri and, and went out and trained and stuff like that is they just really come at it from a very simple mindset. And uh, they try, they live by, you know, if it doesn't make sense to you, how are you going to make it make sense to the dog? And uh, so there's a lot to be said for that. There's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of positive in that. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to know more about them and link up with them, they are in Missouri. You can find them. I have the link to their website down in the show notes. Uh, but it, I think it's perfectionkennel.com. And uh, they're people that I will definitely do a follow follow up with at some point and hope to link up with them in person and kind of see some of their training approaches and methods in in person and and run dogs and all that fun stuff. So hopefully we can do it again here in the future uh, and and do it in person, do a little bit of fun, maybe do some video stuff, who knows. But uh, 
hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully it was worth the wait for all those people that have been uh, requesting them for some time. I know uh, specifically around the Woe series, a lot of people were asking to get them on to talk about Woe. So hopefully that kind of uh, filled the void that some of you thought that we may have left uh, during the series by not including them. But uh, it was fun getting to know them, and I look forward to the next time. And uh, speaking of learning, which, you know, as you guys heard, that's primarily what John and Jessica are all about. If you want to learn anything more uh, with what we do here at GDIY, then I encourage you, please go check out our YouTube. Just search Gundog It Yourself. There's also a link to that in the show notes. You know, we have a little bit of uh, a bunch of different stuff on YouTube now from hunt films and conservation and podcasts. And and I recently just uploaded a uh, little gear video kind of talking about my thoughts and setup on my final rise system, both during hunting as well as the training or off season. So uh, if that interests you, then go check out that video. I've, I've been getting a lot of good feedback on it. A lot of people uh, enjoyed seeing a, a different setup other than what you would typically go out with in the uh, hunting field per se. Uh, If you want to continue or support the podcast further than that, by all means, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. You know, it's it's the equivalence of just buying us a beer. So, you know, if if you really find value or you just enjoy the podcast coming out every single week and you're learning something from it or or whatever, uh, then please consider just, you know, throwing five, ten bucks our way a month. And, And it really goes a long way. We can't do this show without our Patreon support. Supporters. And speaking of Patreon, we do have a giveaway coming up this Friday. Uh, I do a monthly giveaway for an Onyx Elite Premium Membership. And uh, this month, as well as next month, we will also be including a giveaway from a listener and fellow patron, uh, Carson Fillin of Fillin Outdoors. He does custom leather work, and he's been uh, kind of developing a, a bunch of different accessories that you might be interested in the gundog world. You know, they, he does the Jaeger leads and collars and stuff like that, which we can appreciate. But he's also working on a number of different things. He's he's done some shotgun shell sleeves for your for the butt of your shotgun. He's done the the holster for some Garmin collars. He's working on the pinch collar. So anybody that's uh, uh, involved in the the steady with style training with Mo Martha Greenlee approach the the Wes Gibbons method then that might give you another uh, resource for a pinch collar I know it's hard to come by uh, finding the right pinch collar for that system you know there's there's uh, only so many that you can really find out there but if you're interested in doing that then sign up for Patreon right now like I said the the giveaway for that is this upcoming Friday so we're running out of time on that if you want to get in on it this month and if you miss it this uh if you listen to this after this giveaway then still sign up we'll do it again next month so again thanks for everybody kind of checking us out and listening we can't do this without without your support it means the world to me that you'd stop by and and every time you hit download uh it it really means a lot so again thanks as always and uh, we'll be back next week with another fun and exciting episode Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.